Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even, Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. Winter is coming. Heavy rain, sleet, snow, and ice. Are your tires up for the challenge? Tread confidently in winter's worst with a set of new tires from Tire Rack. They sell only the best, like the full line of Yokohama tires. Go to TireRack.com sports. Tell them what you drive. Your tires will ship fast and free to you or one of over 10,000 recommended installers. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. 57 degrees. They're proven tough and sold only at AutoZone. Get in the zone, AutoZone. Several major stories uh, to dive into as we begin Monday. I hope you guys are having a fantastic start to your week. And if you watched television at all yesterday, you can probably get a sense for what I believe two of the three biggest stories are. Number one, Jordan Spieth now three-quarters of the way to completing a career major winning championship He will be the sixth individual if he can win the PGA Championship, which is probably, I would say, maybe the easiest of all of the majors to win. Not in like a necessarily negative fashion, just I don't think that there's any kind of real connection to the PGA Championship. When people win it, they think, oh my God, he won the PGA Championship. I mean, obviously the Masters comes with a green jacket. The U.S. Open comes with the jug with your name on it. The British Open is the longest and oldest of all of the majors. And then there's kind of the PGA Championship sitting around floating out there. Jordan Spieth and what he can mean to golf and what happened at the 13th hole and the way that he finished that entire round of golf. I think the number one sports story going on right now. The continued drama that exists in the city of Cleveland. Kyrie Irving requests a trade. LeBron James sending out Instagram posts. What is going to end up happening there with the Cleveland Cavaliers? Does any of it matter, given the fact that the Golden State Warriors seem to have driven the rest of the NBA insane? And finally, Game of Thrones, Episode 2, Season 7, last night. Now there's only five episodes left. We will talk about that at some point in the show as well. But I want to begin with what I think is the biggest story of the weekend, which was Jordan Spieth. And in particular, I think really this story took off and began 
and came into its own on Sunday morning as many of us were sitting around watching this game, uh, watching this tournament, and Jordan Spieth had the ball at the top of a ridge, on the side of a ridge, on the 13th hole. Jordan Spieth tied at that point in time with Matt Kuchar, and he hits one of the worst drives you probably will ever see him hit in his career in a major. Pushes it about 100 yards right. The ball comes to rest on the side of a, of a hill, on a mound, with absolutely no ability to play that shot at all. Jordan Speed decides to take relief, and so moves back into the, basically like the practice area, and he's in the middle of all the, uh, all the, 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 all the just promotional materials. If you were watching this, it was incredible theater. I mean, he's surrounded by all these different tents, all these different bunch of yeah, the equipment trucks, like everything. Like he's literally walking around in the middle of the equipment trucks. And even a guy who, like me, who has hit a lot of bad golf shots in his career. In fact, I hit a lot of bad golf shots on Friday. I was like, my God, this is in a really, really difficult position. And so he takes an unplayable lie. And at some point, the announcers are saying, maybe you should just go back to the tee box. Why not just go back to the tee box and hit another shot? Instead, he lines it up, he hits it, and he manages to get out of that hole with a bogey, but he gives up the lead. And so at that point in time, many people on Twitter and certainly on television and anybody watching it is starting to have a little bit of flashbacks to what happened to him at the Masters. And if you remember at the Masters, he had a several-stroke lead when he just completely fell apart, put a couple into the water, and ended up choking away that Masters. I mean, he was about as much close to a lock as you could possibly get. So people start to ask the question, man, maybe Jordan Spieth has kind of started to lose his mental edge. And if you go back, I mean, many people have already forgotten about how dominant Jordan Spieth was in 2015. But at the age of, I guess it would have been, what, 22, 21, whatever the math was on this, he won the Masters and he won the U.S. Open back to back in 2015, and then he won. He in the U.S. in the in the British Open that year, he nearly won. He came in tied for fourth, and then he came in second at the PGA. That's a remarkable season that Jordan Spieth had in 2015. Now, in retrospect, again, he won the Masters. He uh, he won the U.S. Open. He came in fourth at the British Open, and he came in second at the PGA. And then he followed that up the next year by blowing the Masters, and it never really seemed like last year he recovered from blowing the Masters. Now that he's won the British Open, he's won three out of four. But before he won the British Open yesterday, you could sit back and say, "Uh uh-oh, is this guy going to blow this situation? And then he put together an unbelievable finish. In the final several holes, he went five under par. In 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18, the final five holes included there was an eagle. He went five under par to run away with the tournament. And so from that moment where he's standing on the side of a hill, and by the way, it took him, I think, 25 minutes to hit a shot because there was all the uncertainty about where his ball was. It had to be found, and then he had to decide what to do. He had to take an unplayable lie. He had to move back into the, into the middle of the semi-trucks and everything else. I mean, it was, it was insane television. If you were watching this live, it took him 25 minutes to hit a shot. And when he's standing over the ball, you're thinking, man, if he hits a bad shot here, 
this tournament for him is probably going to end. And instead, he gets a pretty decent shot, and then he follows it up. He goes up and down, bogeys, and it was one of the most remarkable things that I've ever seen because you're having a flashback to Jean Vandeveld. If you remember Jean Vandeveld, he was the Frenchman who completely fell apart on the 18th hole and ended up choking away his opportunity to win uh, the British Open. And you remember he take, took his shoes off, and then later, in retrospect, he came back and played that same hole with just his putter, and he got a bogey, which is remarkable. Again, he just got up there with his putter and got a bogey. What did he get, a triple? I think he got a triple on that hole uh, when he choked away his opportunity to um, to win the championship outright. He had the British Open one at 18 and just fell apart. Next thing you know, he's got his shoes off, he's standing in the water, and everything kind of goes awry. But, man, what a win for Jordan Spieth. And then in a larger context, is this going to help golf? What does golf need? There's a, a lot of difficulty going on right now for a variety of different sports as there's a lot more entertainment options. I wrote about this yesterday on OutKick. Do you know that Sports Center? this is an amazing stat, SportsCenter last week was beaten head-to-head by Teletubbies eight of its nine times that it aired on ESPN. And it was beaten by Teletubbies without that many people watching. This is an amazing stat. Like, people are choosing to spend their time in totally different ways than they would have in years past. SportsCenter aired nine times last Thursday. And this is representative of the larger issue, not a one-day just kind of snapshot. This is what's actually going on. SportsCenter aired nine times last week on Thursday. Eight of those times, more people watched the 9.30 airing of Teletubbies, 9.30 a.m. airing of Teletubbies on Nickelodeon. And what's that show, Mutt and something, Mutt and Stuff? Mutt and Stuff, which I don't know even though I've got kids, on Nickelodeon, Mutt and Stuff on Nickelodeon tripled every sports center viewing. No one is watching ESPN outside of really popular sporting events. Their actual original programming has never been deader. And I think a big part of that is because there's so many other entertainment options out there, and what ESPN is providing is not really striking people as must-see television. Golf has got a similar issue. NASCAR has got a similar issue. Any sport that isn't completely in the mainstream right now, it's like people don't pay attention to it anymore. So Jordan Spieth, is it necessary for there to be some level of dominance from him? Now, the Tiger Woods era is over, right? Tiger's never going to be back in any kind of significant fashion. So golf has to come to grips with that. And there are many good young golfers, right? Roy McIlroy's a good young golfer. Jordan Spieth's a good young golfer. Ricky Fowler. There are a lot of young guys who it appears, Jason Day, have the ability to win at a high level. But are any of them dominant or interesting enough that they actually drive your attention? Maybe Spieth can be that guy. I don't know. He's not 24 years old yet. I thought the most entertaining and funny part of maybe the entire tournament was right after he won when his caddy is standing in the in the kind of just room where you go and 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 signify and sign your scorecard and as Spieth is walking by he gives him a ball tap did you guys see that just absolutely fantastic totally I called it the Pearl Harbor of ball taps there's no way 
that he could have been prepared for that ball tap at that moment in time. It's a majestic, august situation there as Jordan Spieth goes out to accept his win. His caddy's just standing there. Next thing you know, Jordan Spieth goes straight ball tap, and his caddy was completely undefended. The Pearl Harbor of ball taps. And that was, to me, a little bit of a window into what Jordan Spieth's personality is. Because as is, we don't necessarily get that much. You know, he made the shot from the bunker and went crazy in celebration just a couple of weeks ago. And that was something where you thought, okay, maybe we've got a really somewhat of a sense for what he's actually like. Tiger Woods captivated people with his dominance. I think probably we need to see the same thing from Jordan Spieth. I'm going to open up the phone lines. I'll bring in the crew, 877-996-6369. We'll unpack the Kyrie Irving drama. We'll talk some about Game of Thrones, and we'll continue to discuss Jordan Spieth completing three quarters of the career master, the career major, and he would become the second youngest if he could get it done behind Jack Nicholas. I think there's a good chance he wins the PGA. Now, is it next month? Next month, next August, coming up here. I'm Clay Travis, 877-996-6369. Hope your Monday is going spectacularly well. We're going to try and continue that and make uh, Mondays great again here on Fox Sports Radio. Live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios. Great news. Quick way you could save money. Switch to Geico. Go to geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. I'm Clay Travis. Thank you for spending your Monday with us as we get started and rolling into another week. Here's Jordan Spieth uh, as he talked about the win. I'm going to take this back to America, which might upset a few of y'all here. Uh, But I'll return it to try and bring it back again. Thank you very much. What an incredible honor. I felt once I lost my, my lead completely and we were tied, I actually felt the nerves go away uh, for, for a few holes until I got the lead again, and then they were back. And it's just kind of, you know, powering through that. That was an impressive, just fun television watch. A lot of times golf, not that scintillating, not that exciting. You had no idea what was going to happen with Jordan Spieth on thirteen. You had no idea what was going to happen with that shot, and there was about 25 minutes worth of buildup. And then also to have him close as he did with five under par on 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, including an eagle, was one of the greatest closing stretches we've ever seen. It wasn't that Matt Kuchar played poorly. It was just that Jordan Spieth took his game entirely to another level. A couple more things about the British Open that I really liked this year. Did you guys notice how they had the ads that they were running while they showed the sporting event going on at the same time. Uh, For those of you who watched it, they had on the left side of the screen a video feed of whatever was taking place during the Open itself. And then on the right side, they had the audio and the ad that was running. I don't know what the effectiveness of those ads is going to be because you could watch a different thing visually while at the same time it was going on. But I do think that's a potential way that sports are going to have to start to integrate advertisements going forward. And the reason why I say that is we talk a lot about, the, and I talk a lot on this show, about the difficulty of maintaining people's attention spans, but it's even going to be tougher for kids because my kids now, they live in an on-demand universe. And so they get driven insane by television commercials. Last night I was uh, sitting around, not last night, the night before, Saturday night, Wild night for me. I was sitting watching Paw Patrol with my two-year-old. And we have it on the DVR saved there. And he goes crazy every time you have to have a commercial break. 
He said, like, he doesn't understand the concept of commercial breaks because they watch Netflix and everything on Netflix is without commercials. And then they watch all their shows on demand. So the idea that you would ever have to sit for two minutes and wait for your show to come back, they don't live with it, right? They don't know what commercial breaks are. So I think in sports, you look at the way that we do, let's say, the NFL. You score a touchdown, somebody kicks an extra point, you come back, you take a commercial, you kick off, and then you take another commercial. That stuff's not going to fly. I think in football, they're going to have to get more aggressive about ways that they can potentially take advantage of this and not be taking the long commercial breaks. And for those of you out there who say, oh, well, football doesn't have commercial breaks like uh, golf uh, would or you know, continuing action everything else. If you've gone to an, a football game, either NFL or even worse is college football, you know that there is at least an hour added to a college football game when people come out and stand on the field and they don't actually start the game. And for, it used to be only a few games in college football when I was a kid were actually on television. And if the game wasn't on television, you could watch it in like two and a half hours. It was over really fast. Nowadays, college football games can stretch on like four and a half or five hours. I mean, it's not unheard of for a game in college football to last five hours. Whereas in the NFL, they're pretty much done in three hours. So I think college football has got some issues to try to figure out exactly what they're doing when it comes to the length of the games. And I think sports in general, and you can say, oh, the NBA, everything. Every sport has built-in television timeouts now. Baseball is really the only sport that's perfectly made for television, where you go into the dugout and you change sides and you come back out. Like Baseball is basically created for television. But every other sport, there's substantial amounts of time where they're waiting for commercial breaks to come in and out. And so I think this was an interesting uh, kind of test case. I'm not sure how effective it's going to be, but it was something pretty cool that I saw happening. By the way, last night, we got to get on this too. Last night, got to call out this, this, this Shark Week. I watched the Discovery Channel. I watched the Shark versus Michael Phelps. Maybe the worst design show in the history of television. You told me that Michael Phelps was going to race a great white. I'm not a television expert, but I do think you could put a great white and Michael Phelps side by side with like some sort of plexiglass between them and allow them to actually race and be able to see them at each other at the same times. Instead, we get Michael Phelps against a CGI generated great white shark. I was I was not pleased with this. It went off right before Game of Thrones started. I had my kids all gathered around. Everybody wanted to watch Michael Phelps race the great white shark. Maybe the worst television production I've ever seen. I don't I I wish we could wake up whoever the producer was of that show wherever he is in the world and make him come on and defend his show. There's zero way that he could defend his show. Let's bring in the crew. Jason Martin, were you with me? Did you watch Phelps versus the Great White? Jason Martin, did he vanish? Have we lost him? He must be busy. Yeah, but... he's screening phone calls. All right, let's go to L.A. Did you guys watch Phelps versus the Great White? Now, I didn't watch it live, Clay. I, I did, you know, research it to, to watch the the lowlights afterwards. <laughs> um, now, I, I it looked ridiculous. It they was, stretched it was so this stupid. program out for <laughs> so long. If you didn't watch it, the, the concept was they sold us for months. Michael Phelps is going to race a great white shark. I guarantee you we talked about this. It's like, this is perfect animal Thunderdome. And I was like, okay, this sounds somewhat interesting. I mean, the great white is faster. But the key here to Phelps versus the great white is, do we know whether or not 
the great white knows he's in a race, right? I mean, that's the ultimate question. We know Phelps knows he's in a race, and they gave him like a shark fin so he could swim a little bit faster and everything else. And so I was genuinely intrigued to see what was going to happen here. They stretched this program out for an hour. It's Michael Phelps in South Africa in the water off the coast. And you think to yourself, okay, I want to see what's going to happen here because there were great whites everywhere. I can't believe that Michael Phelps even got into the water there. It's freezing, 56 degrees, I think they said, off the coast. And ultimately what they did was create a CGI version of the great white, which looked as bad as the original Jaws. If you go back and watch the the original Jaws movie now, the special effects in Jaws, now that it's what, like 30 years old or whatever it is? Isn't Jaws like... Even older, I think. Is yeah. Jaws even older than 30? Like we'll Whatever the age up, yeah. is for Jaws. Obviously, I think Jaws is the most influential movie of all time in terms of the impact that Jaws has. Every single person who goes into the ocean now thinks about a shark eating them. And I don't know that would have if that would have happened if Jaws is never made. 42 years old. Jaws is 42 years old? Yep. My God. So Jaws is 42 years old now. If you watch that movie, it's still a classic. But all of the Jaws kind of uh, – all of the special effects are atrocious. That's what this looked like, except it's been 42 years since then. The special effects generated shark that Michael Phelps was racing – was just was awful. How by the lied way, he lost to, by two seconds. How lied to did you feel? Totally. Yeah. I felt what like a my, rip. I mean, to start Shark Week that way, this entire thing that Discovery Channel does for Shark Week, to start with Phelps versus the Great White and have it be as much of a joke as it was, I think that 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 the entire Discovery Channel should have to apologize to everyone who watched. I mean, really, I don't know what they paid Michael Phelps to do this. But I hope it was millions and millions of dollars because he didn't even do anything. I mean, it was a total joke. I can't believe it's been 42 years since Jaws was made. Jason Martin, did you watch that? Did you watch the uh, Phelps versus the Shark? Yeah, I didn't watch it live, which was great. Uh, I was able to watch it at about 10.30 last night, and I was able to get through it in about 20 minutes because I could kind of I don't know how it took to you 20 what the minutes. Point was. Well, I mean, I, it was probably more like 10, honestly. It was... I figured out what they were doing relatively quickly, so then it was very, very easy to get to the end. And I guess the question of how does the shark know he's in a race is he doesn't, so there's not going to be a race. So we're going to do all this weird math. That was real entertaining, Shark Week. Let's bring out math and a bunch of analytics and stuff as if we're watching sports science and then have Michael Phelps just swim by himself. That was awful. I know, but here's the other thing. It was false advertising, too. That was not what anybody had talked about for, you know, six, seven weeks since this was announced. We already know how fast a great white shark can swim, just like we know how fast a cheetah can swim, uh, you know, or run or whatever. You know, right? They already know. They already have the footage to know how fast animals can go. So why do we need to know? Like, the shark is faster than Michael Phelps. The only question was, if they were side by side, what would happen? Would the shark stop and look and think about trying to eat Michael Phelps? I'm not saying that they had to be literally side-by-side in a pool, but that's what I would have tried to do. Put him in salt water, put the great white shark next to Michael Phelps, and let him race. Have like a huge plexiglass between the two of them. That would have been really entertaining to see. It would also have been a little bit scary. Instead, Michael Phelps, it was a a total disaster. I, I can't believe that they would even attempt to make that and try to sell it to us, especially with all the lead-up and all the attention they got. Just inexcusable. 877-996-6369. Let's find out what's trending now. We'll come back on the flip side, talk about Spieth, 
the great white. We'll talk about LeBron and Kyrie, and we'll also start to talk soon about Game of Thrones. I'm Clay Travis. This is Outkick the Coverage. Let's find out what's trending now. Welcome back. Fox Sports Radio Studios brought to you by GEICO. It's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with GEICO. Go to GEICO.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. And if you're looking to sell your car, there's now a new, better way to do it with TrueCar. It's fast, it's easy, and it's the best way to price your car from the comfort of home. When you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out TrueCar.com slash trade today. This reminded me, this, this, this sham, this fake race reminded me when the guy walked across the, the Niagara Falls. Do you remember that? And he had a huge net beneath him. And you're like, well, worst case scenario, or was, or was it the Grand Canyon? I can't remember exactly, but it was it, didn't he also do Niagara Falls, though? I mean, somebody has. I don't know if it's the same guy. I think it was it the same was. guy. I think that guy's done on like 10, 11 of those trust walk deals. But he couldn't have actually had anything bad happen to him because there was a huge net underneath, I think, in both situations. Maybe only in the Grand Canyon was there a net. I can't remember. Of course, I watched both of them. I watched the guy walk across. Wasn't that like evil? Yeah. No, it was the guy. It wasn't evil Knievel. No, it but it was the Knievel. it was the it was the Walinda brother, right? The guy who was yes. like the expert of the, his whole family is basically experts yeah. on walking on wires, and so he walked over the Niagara Falls. I don't know how many years ago that was, but I watched that, and then he walked over the Grand Canyon. But about halfway through, they panned down, and they're like, "Oh, just so you know, if he falls, we've got a net to catch him." And I'm like, "Well, this kind of defeats the entire purpose." He's got a mic on. He's talking to us while he's doing it. He's not actually in any kind of substantial danger. Yeah, it would have been a lot more death-defying if they had cut big holes out of the net every few hundred feet. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean that. I mean, (laughs) you watch it to see whether or not the guy's going to fall. The idea is that there's a peril involved in it. The whole purpose of Michael Phelps versus a great white shark is that there might be, in some form or fashion, some peril involved. Now, the only peril involved in any way was that Michael Phelps was willing to get into the water and swim in South Africa. But they had like 15 different people surrounding him, all these divers to make sure that he was safe. Although I don't know what those divers would do if they had just immediately decided the shark had that he wanted to eat Michael Phelps. Like if he had known there was a famous person swimming and the shark had come after him. I don't know what those divers were going to do. Do they have guns to shoot the shark? I don't know. They didn't really ever explain that. But... Phelps just swam by himself in the ocean. I mean, the entire show was a sham. Niagara Falls with this guy was in 2012. The Grand Canyon was in 2013. Has it been that long? Man, that's crazy. I want to know how many people watch this because I think a lot of people bought into the hype. And also, it's Saturday. I mean, it's Sunday night in the middle of the summer. There's not a lot on, right? Game of Thrones, for those of us who are Game of Thrones fanatics. But I had all my kids, my nine-year-old, my six-year-old, my two-year-old. Everybody was gathered around. They wanted to watch. And so we were all sitting there waiting to see what was going to happen. And then it was just a crappy CGI version of a shark that Michael Phelps was raising. I don't know. I'm trying to think. Can you think of any other thing other than the guy who walked across the Grand Canyon and the uh, and Niagara Falls? Can you think of a bigger sham television event to advertise for this long? I mean, remember... It's not as if this were live on television and Discovery Channel didn't know what was going to happen. At least the Grand Canyon and the Niagara Falls show were live. I mean, this was taped. So how do you pump this as a great show when you already know exactly what it's going to look like? I mean, that to me seems indefensible by the Discovery Channel. 
Eddie Garcia brought up a good one. He said it was Geraldo. Like, remember all the yeah, it was Geraldo. Except that's they like knew, thirty years except ago. Geraldo, <laughs> well, wait, it was Geraldo, but they but Geraldo knew there was nothing in the vault the whole time, what and he knew jerk. it for weeks. He knew it for weeks before he actually went there. I'm saying that's what the equivalent would have. Oh, been. I didn't know that. I didn't know that he knew. No, he didn't. I'm saying that's the equivalent of last night. Like last no, night's worse I'm talking because about Geraldo. Geraldo opened it up. No, I'm saying Geraldo opened the vault thinking there was oh, something going to be there. I'm saying right, that this was the equivalent of if Geraldo had known for a month that nothing was in that vault, yet they still built it up like something was going to be in there when they opened it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. At least the Geraldo thing was live on television. Right. So you had no idea what actually might be in there. There's at least the excitement of something might happen. And, and that's what great live television is, right? You have no idea from one moment to the next what might happen. This was taped, so they knew what a crappy product they had already, and yet they still chose to start Shark Week with this as if it was the Daytona 500 of the Shark Week. I mean, there's, to me, indefensible to go out to sell this on, man, this is going to be incredible. And how about Michael Phelps? He knows what a sham it is, too. Now, he might not have watched the show, but he knows that all he did was swim for 38 seconds against a CGI animated thing, and nobody really... I mean, like, when you hear Michael Phelps is going to race a great white shark, I think every single person out there thinks, oh, wow, he's going to be in this, at least at the same time, they're going to be going, right? And then to have this happen, when you know what exactly how it's been constructed, indefensible. I think that the, the producer of this show and everybody who made the decision to go out and sell this as if it were going to be Michael Phelps versus the shark should be sued for fraud. Like everybody who was involved in watching this, and I bet there was millions because they advertised it. And Shark Week is really popular. I mean, that's probably the most watched week, I would imagine, that they have on the Discovery Channel all year long. So now I don't know if I can trust them about Shark Week. I don't know. I think I think my relationship with Discovery Channel may be forever severed over this. I'm saying that. I'm definitely going to watch Shark Week with the boys this week because it's a pretty entertaining show. But by and large, that was a that was a disgrace. There's no way to defend it. Speaking of no way to defend, what did you guys? So when, when should we? How should we talk about Game of Thrones? Should we talk about it next segment as the play of the day? Can we use the play of the day there? Sure, we can. I do mean, that. I don't want to. I don't want to. Last time we had a big discussion about spoiler alerts. So you still are of the opinion that you're not allowed to talk about Game of Thrones? No, I'm of the opinion you just have to let people know a little bit in advance before you talk about it this soon after the episode aired. I'm not saying you can't talk about it. Like we did it last week, thought that was perfect. All right, we're going to talk a little bit about Game of Thrones coming back in the final segment of Hour 1. Really pretty exciting conclusion. Got a couple of questions for you, and we will discuss that and more. And then at the beginning of Hour 2, we'll dive back into the never-ending drama that is the NBA offseason, and we will discuss what's going to happen with the Cavs. Are the Cavs going to trade Kyrie Irving? Is it possible that LeBron James gets traded? Could he waive his no-trade clause, meaning that no-trade clause guy uh, can can finally stop talking about this? Uh, it's one of the most annoying and, uh, and, and dumb things that anybody says on social media. He's got a no-trade clause. Well, we'll talk about that and more at the top of Hour 2. But first, let's go ahead and take a break and get geared up right now. We're coming back. We're going to talk about Game of Thrones. Uh, uh, did you see it, Danny G and Justin? Do you guys see episode yeah, of two course. Oh, all right so when we got to work first thing we did was talk about the oh can i say it spoiler alert the nude scene 
Yeah, the nude scene. All right, we're going to talk. If you didn't see the nude scene, it's one of the greatest nude scenes in the history of HBO up there with Alexandra Dottario in True Detective. We're going to talk about what happened in Game of Thrones, final segment, hour one, right now. So you can tune out if you don't want spoilers. But for everybody else, gear up. I'm Clay Travis. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Live from the Geico, Fox Sports Radio Studios. Great news. Quick way you could save money. Switch to Geico. Go to geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. You can find me on Twitter, at Clay Travis. Lots of you reacting to the Phelps versus the Shark big letdown and hitting me with a couple of other recent examples of similar letdowns. Rachel Maddow revealing Trump's tax return. That thing was a total disaster. All the talk was, oh, my God, Rachel Maddow's got this massive story. I can't wait to see what she's got. And she had like one page of Donald Trump's tax return. And it turns out that it looks like somebody at Donald Trump's camp actually sent that to her because it proved that Donald Trump paid like some insane amount of tax that year. And she got played completely. The other one, and I think this was the Discovery Channel as well. Do you remember the guy was supposed to get eaten by the snake? And then he didn't get eaten by the snake at all. Like, he was like, okay, this is as much of getting eaten by a snake as I want. He was like strangled by an anaconda. He had like on some kind of special, uh, some kind of special gear. And he was like, we're going to find out what it's like to get eaten by a snake. And then it didn't happen. Speaking of eaten by a snake, sand snakes. Rough night for the sand snakes. Let's go back around Game of Thrones. 25 million people or whatever it is watch it every week. It's the best show on television for the summer. We're now two episodes in out of seven. I'll start with you, Jason Martin. What rating would you give Game of Thrones season seven so far? I can't go higher than about a B minus. That's where I had the premiere, and that's where I had last night. The ending, to me, was not my favorite part, even though that was certainly the action it needed because so much of last night felt like a place setter, which is the same thing I felt about the first one. And when you only have seven episodes in a season... That seems a little bit crazy that there wasn't more going on, but I actually thought the conversation between Danny and Barris was the most intriguing and most interesting that I heard, just about Barris being somebody that you can't just buy, that he's actually going to support who he believes in. That, to me, was very, very interesting. There was a lot of fluff and a lot of filler and a lot of, all right, well, we're going to get to this soon, and we're going to do this soon, and we're going to tell you this, and this person's going to learn this about this character, but not a ton was happening. And then the the thing at the end was definitely the five minutes that I think a large quadrant of the audience needed to really feel good about the episode. But I can't go higher than about a B-minus so far on these first two episodes. They've been good, but they have not been what I would consider to be great by any means, especially when you look at the bar that this series has set in its high points. Yeah, you know, I would probably give it a B. I thought the opening of Season 7 with Arya killing off all the forays was pretty fantastic. And I thought, I I did think that the unexpected nature of Euron Greyjoy's attack on, in season, you know, at the end of that episode kind of came out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. I'm still, do you think that that Yara is still alive? Yara is still alive, right? Yes, because we didn't see her die. Like, when you don't see somebody die in TV, it's like they're designing it to make it look like, all right, well, her, her days are numbered. But it seems well, like never she's probably seen, more valuable being alive right now. We never saw a Stannis die. Very right? true. But we know Stannis Baratheon is dead, at least uh, we seem to believe, although we've never actually seen him. And to me, on Game of Thrones, typically, when you don't see a guy officially die, then he comes back, i.e. the Hound. What would you guys say? Let's go out to L.A., Justin and uh, Danny G. What would you give the show so far through two episodes? 
I mean, relative to everything else on TV, you got to give it an A. But I guess just relative to what Game of Thrones has done in the past, I, I, I would go with a, a B, B+. Plus. Uh, my, my favorite part of the episode, at least one of my favorite parts, was actually uh, all the all the Arya scenes. I love the Arya scenes. And then, by the way, the nude scene has to be your favorite part of the oh, episode if you're a straight man. Well, I mean, Natalie how do you Emmanuel, pronounce her name? Natalie, Eman- Natalie, Natalie Emmanuel, who we already knew was really hot from the Fast and the Furious. Yes, like she's an she's unbelievable. She's yeah, yeah, she's she's off gorgeous. the charts hot. That was a great scene. I, I mean, as far as storyline goes and, and dialogue, obviously that's the best scene. But her her uh, uh, reunion with her her direwolf and that whole dialogue I, I found to be you know see I thought really that was good. interesting but I thought it was totally like what do we need that for well, what's because the there's a lot of that last night Clay well, well no see here here's what it is I think what happened was so she she realizes that's her direwolf and then she asks the direwolf to come with her back to Winterfell. And the direwolf decides, you know, no, I, I don't want to do that. Direwolf gave her the Heisman. Yeah, and then, <laughs> and Arya says, "That's not you," which harkens back to a conversation she had with her that. dad in the. I in get that, one. but why is it necessary? Because like, I why think do I need to know the mental process to show of the that wolf? That's why. Well, because, to show that wolf on camera. Well, I think what's going to happen is it's going to make her realize that this isn't her going back to Winterfell to have a nice family reunion. She's going to decide, you know what, I, I am going to go back to my mission of, of killing Cersei. So I think she's going to change course now yeah, because okay. of that, that meeting. That, if, if there's a course change correction from her there, then and, and I'm going to write, I'll do my column on this, that, that's my immediately after the show on Facebook, after Game of Thrones, on Facebook Live and Periscope, I go live and discuss, uh, for those of you who are huge Game of Thrones fans, and I that that's my only thought is that it has to have led to some kind of pivot point for her. Otherwise, the only purpose of showing the wolf is just to show the wolf. Like they could have literally had that scene at any point in the last couple of years. I will say this: What about the fat kid? Like I don't know what that kid's been doing, but he's gotten a lot fatter since the last time we saw him. So about the, Sam? No, the kid who's like the, the oh yeah the, the bread the cook, guy the bread, the bread guy yeah, 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 yeah. bread guy what's he's amazing been to me a lot about of bread yeah what's amazing to that's a it's a sign you shouldn't be eating that much bread what's amazing to me is they always end up in that same like crappy bread diner like I there's there are thousands of miles in all of the Game of Thrones lands and somehow everybody just crosses back by each other at this bread place it must there's be really just one good bar bread. there's just one there's just one bakery there's one bakery in, like a 4, in all, in all the land. And everybody ends up there. Like, people get killed there. There's always these uh, unexpected, you know, like, seeing people there. There's, like, one place to eat in all of the land of Game of Thrones, and it's that fat kid's place. Uh, no, I wasn't talking about Sam. Like, that that scene where he starts to pull the grayscale off was... Yeah, that was tough. ...really disgusting. And why would you only give him, like, two swigs of rum? Like, isn't that a knockdown, drag out, you need to be insanely drunk? Well, how much like, could he get? I'm not sure Sam had, like, that much stroke to be able to grab that much rum. Like, he might have had to steal that, like, from next to somebody's pee pan. Okay, so I don't think that that in any way impacts him. Like, if you gave me two shots and then said, okay, now I'm going to pull your skin off, like, I don't think that would help me. I don't think the two shots of alcohol I did would really make that much of a difference in terms of the overall pain that I was ha- having to withstand there. I agree. I, I'd probably had the guy knock me out. I'm I'm like we're now two seventh of the way through the season, and I, I really want to know what like what are we going to get resolved here? Because there's only now, if you do the math, what five? There's only eleven more episodes left of this show, and frankly, I don't know why they didn't go ahead and tape the final six episodes at the same time they were doing the seven. 
so we didn't have much of a, a wait. I'm I'm really kind of fascinated to see whether we're going to get a ton of evolution here or are we just going to continue kind of percolating along at this slow kind of rate. Well, what we will get next week, it appears, is something that we've been waiting for for seven years, which is Jon Snow and Daenerys in the same scene, which is pretty wild to think about. They've never actually met. Those two characters have been on such a different career uh, character arc that we've never actually seen them in the same scene. They're both fantastic actors. I'm actually kind of waiting for that. Going to be combustible, I would hope, when they actually end up in the same scene next week. Uh, I am Clay Travis. You're listening to Outkick the Coverage. We'll take your calls, 877-996-6369. Coming back on the flip side, why LeBron should get traded next on Fox Sports Radio. Welcome back, Fox Sports Radio Studios, brought to you by Geico. It's the never-ending story, the story that will not die. What's going to happen with the Cavs? What's going to happen with LeBron James? I feel like this is just bad drama at this point. It's like season four of Melrose Place. There's nothing left that they can possibly create to be a dramatic series. Everybody's already slept with everybody else. You already had somebody die. There's like nothing else you can do. It's like the point in a sitcom where you create a random kid. You're like, all right, what are we going to do now? Well, let's have a kid. And then remember on Growing Pains how like Chrissy went from being like a baby to like six years old in one year and we were just supposed to believe that happened? Do you remember that? Like they get so desperate. They're like, we got to have a kid. And then you get so desperate that the kids got to grow up too because most kids aren't like the Michelle Tanners of the world and can't be entertaining actors and actresses. Unlike our boy in the studio there, not everybody can pull off the kid at Liar Liar. Right? Child actor going to be really difficult at a kid I feel like that's what's going on with the with the NBA right now the Golden State Warriors have so dominated the world of the NBA that everybody else is just panicked trying to find a way to be remotely competitive with them and basically everybody's recognized you know what we have no shot the Golden State Warriors are a more prohibitive favorite to win in the title in 2018 than any team has ever been in the history of any team sport in American life. That's how big of a favorite they are. Now, yeah, sure, it's possible that Kevin Durant can run into Steph Curry and they can bang knees and they can both be out for the season and then there can be NBA drama, but lacking substantial injuries on the Golden State Warriors, the entire season doesn't matter. And so now we get Kyrie Irving requesting a trade, and this happened on, what, Friday night, I believe it was, and or I think it was Friday night. Yep, that it finally went public. And I've been arguing it for a while. If the Cavs, and I'm going to circle back around here and say it again, if the Cavs were smart, if the owner, Dan Gilbert, of the Cleveland Cavaliers were smart, he would trade LeBron James. Because, and I'll walk through my process again, because people are like, oh, you're crazy. There's a lot of method to my craziness here. There's method to my madness. All right, let's begin with what I think is the most important question. Can your team win a championship? The Cleveland Cavaliers just got run by the Golden State Warriors. Just got dominated in five games. The only game they won was the one where they put up maybe the greatest offensive performance in the history of the NBA playoffs. That's how good they had to play to win one game against the Warriors. The Warriors now still haven't played that many games together. Right, I mean, what's crazy about this is the Warriors are still getting used to being a team. They haven't even played that many games yet with Kevin Durant. What have they played? Like, 
maybe one full season now, maybe a little bit less because Durant missed so many games for so long, they're going to get better is my point. The Warriors' ceiling is higher than what they performed at this past year. And, oh, by the way, they just went 16-1 and in the playoffs for the best record in the history of the NBA playoffs. So their ceiling is higher. Meanwhile, the Cavs, I don't, I don't think they can get much better. I think the Cavs are basically what they are. I'm not sure they win the East. And so Kyrie Irving now requesting a trade, the drama that continues to surround LeBron James, Kyrie Irving wants to be the guy. And he feels like with LeBron James keeping the ball in his hand as a basically point forward, that he doesn't have the ability to do everything that he believes he can if he had the ball in his hand the entire game. Kyrie Irving is really impossible to defend as a scoring point guard. Now, the Cavs statistically are a lot worse when he's on the floor than they are when LeBron is on the floor by himself. So I don't think there's any doubt that it would make the team worse. But Kyrie Irving is young. He's 25 years old. He's seven years younger than LeBron James. He's under contract for multiple years. I don't think that the Cavs are going to trade Kyrie Irving either. But if you are going to trade one of your big three, I don't think there's any doubt that you trade LeBron James. So number one, when you walk through this process, the question is, are you capable of winning a championship this coming year? The answer is no. I don't think there's any way, barring injury, that the Cavs are able to beat the Warriors. If that is true, then question two becomes, do you believe LeBron James is going to re-up and finish his career in Cleveland? I think the answer is no. LeBron James is going to bolt on the city of Cleveland at the end of next year. And so once you have worked through those two options, you're not going to win a title and LeBron's going to leave you high and dry. The question I was asking is the same one that I think more people should be asking. Everybody, it's fascinating to me. Everybody sees Paul George at the, Cle- at the Indiana Pacers. And they say, boy, you don't want to end up like the Indiana Pacers with a guy like Paul George who just rides off into the sunset and you get nothing for him. You have to trade him. You don't want what happened to the Oklahoma City Thunder with Kevin Durant to happen to your franchise. So everybody's making that argument constantly about Paul George and the Pacers. I'm the only person that I've heard making that argument about LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers. When LeBron James rides off into the sunset next year and heads straight to L.A. to be a member of the Lakers and puts together another super team to finish his career, First of all, LeBron is going to turn 33 this year. I know Federer just won a title at 35, about to be 36. So let's be completely fair to LeBron James and say he's got three years of being better. He's not going to be better than he is right now. The best case scenario for LeBron James is that his descent is slow and not precipitous. In other words, he's a good player and he doesn't just go off the reservation and suddenly fall down and become the 7th or 8th best player in the NBA. The best case scenario for LeBron James is that it's a long, slow descent back down to being just an okay guy. And maybe that's the case. But at the age of 33, LeBron James has probably only got like three years left. You don't want to end up what I think is going to end up happening. It's going to end up like Kobe. LeBron James is going to have a long farewell goodbye tour, and he's going to be way overpaid relative to his talent when he's 37 or 38 years old. It just happens. Age is undefeated. There's nobody out there who's gotten better 
as they aged. 33 years old, he'll be this December. I think LeBron is basically done. I don't think LeBron will win another championship. I think his career is effectively over. The only way that he wins another championship, in my mind, is if late in his career, he's able to be not the number one guy. So if you're the Cleveland Cavaliers and you're sitting around here and you're thinking, okay, well, we've got Kyrie Irving and we've got Kevin Love under contract. Why can't we try to clear up some space, go get a couple of guys whose contracts are going to be up soon and free ourselves up to make a run at a big-time free agent to try to pair with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love? You're probably still not going to win a title, but you're at least going to be in the ballpark in the years ahead. Has anybody come around on my idea? All three of you, I think, thought I was crazy when I started saying the Cavs should trade LeBron James a month ago. That was before the Kyrie Irving news came out. Has anybody changed their mind? Anybody now on the, you know what, maybe Clay is not insane. They should trade LeBron James. If you have to trade somebody, no way it should be Kyrie Irving. Because what's going to happen if you trade Kyrie Irving is you're probably going to end up getting somebody like Carmelo Anthony who also is going to be a free agent, and the Cavs are just going to be done, right? Because then Carmelo walks away, then LeBron James walks away, and you're left with Kevin Love and J.R. Smith and Iman Shumpert, and you're talking about a team that wins 15 games. I mean, the Cavs are close to dying as a franchise the moment LeBron James walks away. You might as well get something for him. You might as well take advantage of the fact that you've got Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love under contract that avoids you becoming a disaster of a team and it allows you to have some flexibility in the years ahead to be able to go try to get a good free agent. Anybody on my team, anybody think that makes makes, makes sense? No, Clay. I could have stopped you like seven minutes ago, honestly, because there are three guys in the league where this take just can't be made, and LeBron is one of them. The other two I are Carmelo and Dirk because he's got a no-trade clause. It's that simple. There are yeah, three he guys has, he in would the have NBA with no-trade clause. And he said that he's not going to wait. Yeah, but that was that's a report what they that came always, out yesterday. That's what they always – first of all, that's ESPN reporting it. Secondly, that's what everybody always says. I, I yeah, just don't buy into it. that. What, you don't buy that LeBron's going to just stay for the entire season and then leave? Boy, I no, do. No, I believe I never that LeBron thought he was James waive his no trade clause. would agree to have his no-trade clause waived if he can no. end up in a place where he wants to go. I don't see it. I don't see it. This is not the same as Durant and all that. Like, it would be in a perfect world, but because LeBron's had eight seasons and current team four years and he's eligible for this, he can do as he pleases. And I don't, I don't think for a second that he's going to waive his no-trade clause I think at the play all. I think that, that could make sense. Exactly right. You could get rid of of two bad contracts with the Lakers and LeBron James could go to the Lakers and free up all the salary cap space right now. That's I mean, the, you can say that's that. I just that don't think sense. there's a chance in hell it happens. That's the that's the play that makes sense. You've got an awful contract still left with Luau Ding, right, on the, uh, on the Lakers. And I believe, am I correct in this, Jordan Clarkson also has a big deal. You could trade both of those guys to the Cavs. You would clear up those awful contracts that they signed with the Lakers, then LeBron goes to the Lakers. You potentially could go ahead and make a move to try to get Carmelo Anthony too, and then they get there a year ahead of when we expected them to get there. Why would the Cavs do that? Because LeBron's going to leave. I would say you keep LeBron as long as you possibly can, honestly, if you're the Cavs, because you're still going to sell out every time he's out there. You're not going to do that once he leaves. You're not going to win with him. You're not going to win without him. So I'd rather I'd, I'd rather not win with him and have a better chance go deeper in the playoffs. Again, I don't think I think it's a moot point anyway. 
but I, I don't think that there's I don't think there's any benefit at all for the Cavs doing this. Again, you have to let those fans believe he's going to stay there until he leaves. The reason he's going to leave, it looks like, and I have come around to that belief, is because Dan Gilbert is just that pathetic an owner and that bad. Like the difference between him and James Dolan simply is that he's actually had LeBron James and has been able to win I, basketball I, games. So what, he runs what is, people off. What? But what? Yes, you can say he's run people off, but they are so much in salary cap jail that it doesn't matter what kind of owner he is. Like nobody can make a move. They've overpaid for so much mediocre talent now. They've given Tristan Thompson to. I mean, they did what LeBron James asked them to do. They put together the team that LeBron asked them to put together, and as a result, they have no financial ability to make moves. It just it doesn't like you could trade right now Luol Deng, who still has three years. Am I correct in that? Does he still have three years left on his contract? He still has three years left on his contract, and you could get rid of Jordan Clarkson. Both of those guys are drastically overpaid. That would allow you to get LeBron James to the Lakers. And then you would have Alonzo Ball, you'd have Brandon Ingram, you'd have LeBron James, and you potentially would have salary cap room to go get somebody else. Or you sit there for a year, let LeBron basically live the life, doesn't have to play in the postseason, and next thing you know, he's able to go back out and redo the team. Now, maybe LeBron just wants to stay in Cleveland, and maybe they're going to be crappy, and the entire Cavaliers franchise is just going to fall apart around him. But to me, that's a trade that would make total sense for LeBron because then he can get two bad contracts off the books for the Lakers and free up so much salary cap room going forward. I mean, there's not a single Lakers fan out there, I would imagine, right, who thinks that Luol Deng is worth $18 million a year for each of the next three years. Get him out of there. Get Jordan Clarkson out of there, and that's $28 million. Let's go out to L.A. You guys are with me that you believe LeBron James is going to be a future Laker because you're delusional Laker fans. But are you also with me that it's time to make a trade? Like LeBron, if if you have to choose between trading Kyrie Irving or LeBron James, I think the most likely outcome is that nothing happens, by the way. I think all this talk, oh, Kyrie Irving's gone public, he wants to be traded, everything else. I think all this talk, the most likely outcome is nothing changes and that we end up with the same Cleveland Cavaliers team right now, basically, that we do uh, at the start of the season. But if you're going to trade someone, if you have to choose between trading Kyrie Irving or LeBron James, I think it's a no-brainer you trade LeBron James. I do agree that, you know, this makes sense, Los Angeles does, for LeBron, the iconic brand and LeBron's brand. It all blends together, and there's word that his wife and his – uh, wife's mom and his mom, they all love L.A. They want to be here. But I just don't see, because of the relationship with Dan Gilbert and LeBron, I don't see any any way possible that Gilbert does anything LeBron would like and LeBron does anything that would help Gilbert either. I think he just rides out this last year and goes out on a be- on better terms with his hometown because it, it would imagine the backlash that Gilbert would get if he dealt off LeBron right now. I don't think exactly. I don't think Gilbert would put himself in that position right now. I think I think you, what you have Are you to, kidding? I think what you have to say, well you're trying to free up some salary cap room for a couple of years down the road to make some trades. Right? I mean, you have to in order to make the trade, you have to get somebody who's somewhat close to LeBron James's salary. 
Yeah, so, no, that part would be great for the Lakers, but I think right, th- that's th- my point. Gilbert would have to be like, look, I'm going to get Ingram, the one piece that Magic and the others in the Lakers' front office don't want to deal. He's the one guy they don't want, besides Lonzo, of course. He's the one player, Brandon Ingram, Ingram is the one guy going in before the draft, they said, look, he's off limits. So that's the one guy that I could see maybe a team like the Cavs getting so they could at least have something to sell to their fans, but just a couple of bad contracts, no way. I think, I think their the heads would are, blow up. Are going to so come off the Cavs this year, I don't think they're going to win the East. I, I think that we're going to see, I think the team is going to stay the same and I think the wheels are just going to completely come off. And I think that, first of all, they weren't that good in the regular season last year where they go 51 and 31. I think that they probably will go 47 and whatever the math is on that 47 and uh 47 and 30 I can't even do the math that's always tough for me add up to 82 so they're going to win four less games 47 so 47 and 35 yeah at, at one point yeah. at one point you had them getting ousted in the first round of the playoffs I think I said they were going to be competitive against uh against the Pacers but I wouldn't be surprised I think that they're going to I think they're going to have a collapse a lot like the last year that LeBron was in Cleveland when they lost to the Celtics and LeBron took his jersey off and walked out and we never saw him in a Cavs uniform again, I think the wheels are coming off of this year's Cavs team. And if I were looking at trying to manage this team, I think when LeBron rides off into the sunset, and I think he's going to do that at the end of the year, then whatever you do, you can't trade Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love because if LeBron goes west, how much worse is the talent in the East going to be? Like that's, that's the one thing I would say that I don't necessarily know – that I buy LeBron going west because I think LeBron wants to be able to argue, oh, I went to 10 straight finals or whatever it was, even if he didn't win very many of them. We'll talk about this. We'll take your calls, 877-996-6369. Am I crazy for saying that the Cavs should be exploring trying to trade LeBron James? If Kyrie Irving is saying he wants to be traded and you've got multiple years left on Kyrie Irving's deal, so you know that you've got him locked in for years ahead and probably – with the Supermax, if you keep him there, you could keep him there for the rest of his career, at least as a high-end player. Why would you risk giving up Kyrie Irving when LeBron James is probably going to leave your franchise at the end of this year? I think you have to explore trading LeBron James. I think you need to make it a Herschel Walker-like deal. Try to put together an unbelievable blockbuster package. See if it can happen. Maybe multiple teams are involved. I'm Clay Travis. Am I insane or not? 877-996-6369. This is Fox Sports Radio. Live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios. Great news. Quick way you could save money. Switch to Geico. Go to geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. Lots discussing today. Going all in on, let's see, Jordan Spieth. Nice ball tap there, 19th hole uh, on his big win. Third leg of the Grand Slam, just needs a PGA. Game of Thrones, talking about Michael Phelps versus the Great White Shark and whether or not the Cleveland Cavaliers should trade Kyrie Irving. couple of interesting little details here. Um, you can bet on where these guys are going to finish their careers Um, or at least sign with next. And right now, I said that I think it's most likely that Kyrie Irving is just going to stay with the Cleveland Cavaliers. This story is going to bubble up and then disappear. Right now, Kyrie Irving, where will he play the first regular season game of 2017? 
This is from Bet Online, one of the offshore sites. Uh, you can go check out this uh, these details at oddshark.com. Um, Cleveland Cavaliers, Kyrie Irving minus 150 to be playing for the Cleveland Cavaliers at the first game next year. That's a pretty substantial favorite. Next best option, the Knicks at 5-1, to one, the Spurs at 10-1, to one, the Minnesota Timberwolves at 16-1. to one. So if you actually believe the Cavs are going to move Kyrie Irving, the Knicks is the most likely destination. In theory, that would mean that the most likely trade for Kyrie Irving is for Carmelo Anthony. That doesn't seem like it makes the Cavs that much better, but we would see whether or not, not that was a trade that was going to happen. Also, again, that's why I think nothing is going to come of this and that the Cavs are going to stay the same team, that they're going to get beat maybe by the Celtics this year in the Eastern Conference Finals. If not, they'll go to the NBA Finals and they will lose to the Warriors again. Carmelo Anthony is actually more interesting. Carmelo Anthony is now favored to be beginning the season next year with the Houston Rockets. He's now minus 130 to play for the Houston Rockets to start the season next year. So if you're a Houston sports fan, that's an interesting team. Chris Paul, Carmelo Anthony, and James Harden, that is the favorite now. If you're betting offshore, people believe that Carmelo Anthony is going to be starting the season with the Houston Rockets. Uh, the Knicks nearly 3-1, to one, and then the Cavs are at 6-1 to one for Carmelo Anthony. Those are, again, according to Bet Online, you can go check those out at oddshark.com. Um, and I don't think that, again, Kyrie Irving is going to tra- be traded at all. Does anybody on the crew, Jason Martin, you think Kyrie Irving is getting traded? I no, I think he will be gone sooner rather than later, but I do think he will start the season in Cleveland. I just don't like I said they they reached out to the Knicks. They wanted Porzingis. The Knicks were not ready to I don't deal even Porzingis think that makes to sense. get him. That's that's an interesting point in and of itself because if they want to trade for Porzingis, isn't that effectively the Cavs saying we're moving on past LeBron because that doesn't make the Cavs more likely to win a championship next year. It, it might make it more you, likely to win a championship in two years or three years, but it certainly doesn't make LeBron and the Cavs that much better right now. It puts somebody down low that could become somebody for your future. He's a young stud. Yeah, right. But that's what I'm saying. Talent, that's not a trade. Growing. I, no, I would think that not. would upset LeBron too because all that would do is make it less likely that they're going to be able to win a championship. Now, it's better for the long range. I get that for the long range future of the franchise. At least if you're going to trade a 25-year-old, you get back a whatever he is, 21 or Maybe that's the idea, old. though, Clay. Maybe that gets to your point. Like, maybe Dan Gilbert realizes that he can't get LeBron out of there this way, so instead, let me get rid of Kyrie and bring somebody in that's not going to be as popular amongst LeBron to make him more likely to potentially want to leave so that you could maybe pull off your idea that I, that I don't think could possibly happen. If you think that you need to move on from LeBron and you're Dan Gilbert and you realize that you're going to lose LeBron and you've got an unhappy Kyrie – Bring in somebody fresh that's already not happy somewhere else. Somebody that maybe could come in and become a Dirk Nowitzki type for Cleveland to become a centerpiece of a rebuilt franchise. And at the same time, LeBron realizes, okay, well, definitely we're not going to win now because we don't even have a point guard at this point. And then maybe he's a little bit more open to making some kind of move where you could get him out of there. I think the balancing act on trading LeBron is that LeBron is not going to want to go to another team that has to give up substantial assets to get him because that defeats the purpose of him being a free agent. That's why I think the Lakers could make sense if they could get 
Jordan Clarkson and potentially Luol Deng in exchange for LeBron James. Because then he gets rid of the Lakers do. They get rid of two contracts that LeBron would probably like to have them be rid of. And it allows him to go there, even though they're not very good, and be there for a year. I just I think LeBron's ego is too much for him to go to a team that he thinks doesn't have a chance to win a championship. So even though I don't think the Cavs have a chance to win a championship, and I think LeBron is also recognizing that now. I think he saw what happened when they went head-to-head with the Warriors, that barring injury, there's zero chance that the Cavs are going to beat the Warriors in a head-to-head series. That was a five-game beatdown that the Warriors put on. And what the Warriors went 67-15 and last year, I don't know what the Warriors decide to do. I mean, I think they could set the record for the greatest team of all time. I don't know that they really care. And again, I don't know that anybody really cares about the NBA regular season at all. And certainly, other than the drama of, oh, I want to be traded, I'm not sure there's any reason to care about the NBA at all right now. 877-996-6369. We'll talk about that on the flip side. We'll also go back in. I've got an unbelievable story that I want to read you guys that actually has to do with soccer. The U.S. men's team won and on, was it Saturday night? On Saturday night, they beat Costa Rica. Last night, Mexico lost to Jamaica. So the Gold Cup final is Wednesday on FS1. But as part of that game that was going on, Clint Dempsey scored a goal. It was an incredible, I mean, uh, scored a, it was a fantastic goal that he scored from a free kick. He also set up the other goal. And as a result, there was an article written about him tying Landon Donovan. You're not going to believe the paragraph that is included in that article. I'm going to read it for you when we come back on the flip side. But first, let's find out what's trending now. Welcome back. Fox Sports Radio Studios brought to you by GEICO. It's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with GEICO. Go to GEICO.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. As well, if you're looking to sell your car, there's now a new, better way to do it with TrueCar. It's fast, it's easy, and it's the best way to price your car from the comfort of home. When you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out TrueCar.com slash trade today. So this was pretty wild. Um, the uh, game on Saturday night, the uh, we have the U.S. men's team score to go up 2 nothing. They are going to probably win the Gold Cup, or they should. They're substantial favorites over Jamaica. And this is, a, uh, this is pretty crazy. There was an article written on ESPN. One of you sent this to me uh, on email. And the article is about how Dempsey has now tra- – uh, has now tied Landon Donovan for most goals scored in U.S. men's team history. And it ends with this paragraph, and this is I'm not making this up. This is ESPN.com's lead article on this new tie. Again, Landon Donovan and Clint Dempsey are tied all-time in goals. And it ends with this paragraph. Uh, Abby Wambach scored 184 goals in 255 games for the U.S. women's national team the most by any player, man or woman, in FIFA history. Dempsey and Donovan would be tied for 10th on the U.S. women's national team all-time scoring list. Can you believe that paragraph is in there? After ESPN people lost their minds over the fact that John McEnroe said Serena Williams would be like the 700th best male player, can you believe that they put in there Dempsey and Donovan would be tied for 10th on the U.S. women's national team all-time scoring list. First of all, Dempsey and Donovan would have like 1,000 goals 
if they played in the women's league. You remember the women, U.S. women's national team lost to a 15-and-under boys team, 5-2 to two in Dallas. Not even the best 15-and-under boys team, just a random 15-and-under boys team. But we hear all this stuff about how you can't compare men's and women's, and then this article is entirely about the fact that, Don, that, that Landon Donovan and Clint Dempsey are now tied for most all-time goals. Everybody who reads this knows that they are tied for most all-time goals in men's soccer. And then the final paragraph, out of nowhere, says Abby Wambach scored 184 goals in 255 games, the most by any player, man or woman, in FIFA history. Dempsey and Donovan would be tied for 10th on the U.S. women's national team all-time scoring list. Dempsey or Donovan would have 1,000 goals, maybe 2,000 goals, if they got to play women's soccer. Can you believe that that paragraph is in the article about Donovan and Dempsey being tied all time? And can you imagine what the reaction would be on the flip side if this were an article about Abby Wambach at the U.S. women's national team, and at the end it said Abby Wambach would not have ever scored a goal if she were playing men's soccer? Like, people would lose their minds, right? So why is this appropriate to include in here? Can anybody defend it? Let's go around the horn. Jason Martin, can you defend MSESPN here? Why does that paragraph need to be in this article? No, I can't, but I can tell you why it needs to be in the article. It needs to be in the article because that makes an agenda point they like, whereas the McEnroe Serena makes the point that they want to try and shove underneath the rug as much as they possibly can. They had an opportunity here just based on numbers with no context whatsoever because, you know, Abby and those folks have more goals. Technically, they were able to then make a blanket statement that gave women power over men. And that's the perfect agenda for ESPN and ESPNW.com and all of that nonsense. Like, that's exactly what we would come to expect. So, no, it's a completely indefensible position, and it's hypocritical based on their reaction to the McEnroe Serena thing. But that's why it's done. I mean, it's clear as day why they did it, because of course they did it. Dempsey and Donovan would be tied for 10th on the U.S. women's national team all-time scoring list. Like, how in the world does that make it through an editor? What editor is out there like, okay, I understand that Landon Donovan and Clint Dempsey are tied all-time in men's goals, but how would they be doing if they were in women's soccer? Where do they rank there? Let's go to L.A. Danny G and Justin, any defending this at all? No way. When you first read it, I thought you were kidding. No, this is real. Again, for people out there who are just getting in your cars, welcome to the world that MSESPN has created. This is a full article, and it was a good game. I enjoyed watching it. The U.S., they played down in Jerry World there. They played in the Dallas Cowboys Stadium. U.S. men's team against um, against Costa Rica. They won 2-0. As part of that game, Clint Dempsey scored to tie Landon Donovan all-time for the most goals scored by a U.S. men's soccer player. It's an article like this, these are. The, this, I'll read you the final two paragraphs. All right, this is how awkwardly this flows. A veteran U.S. international, Dempsey is no stranger to scoring big goals. He found the net against Egypt, Spain, and Brazil as the U.S. reached the 2009 FIFA Confederations Cup final. He also scored the tying goal against England in the Americans' 2010 World Cup opener, and netted 30 seconds in against Ghana in the U.S. opener at the 2014 World Cup in Brazil. And then that's that's the write-up. And then it goes to Abby Wambach scored 184 goals in 255 games for the U.S. women's national team, the most by any player, man or woman, in FIFA history. 
Dempsey and Donovan would be tied for 10th on the U.S. women's national team all-time scoring list. So it doesn't even make sense. Like throwing it doesn't it at even the end fit there. remotely. No, that is very much. You might as well have just ended the article with hashtag end the patriarchy because that's basically <laughs> that's basically what that was. But that's is that look, we made this point when when ESPN did all its layoffs. The point that I made when you came to me on this very show was that if you look at the people that they laid off, they laid off the Ed Werders and the Paul Kaharskis of the world. They didn't lay off the Mina Kimes, the Bomani Jones, the Pablo Torres. All those people are getting more love, and they're the ones that were opining as far left as you possibly could. They've made a very concerted effort to go to one segment of the population. So why would we expect that an article would be written objectively? They've gotten rid of the real reporters. Now it's about advancing agendas. So of course you throw this in because the article doesn't mean anything. What I bet you that was their favorite part of the whole damn article. And of course the editor let it through because the editor agrees with it too. Like it's a hive mind beyond belief over there and it's pretty pathetic. It's unbelievable. We'll take your phone calls. we got some people lined up. 877-996-6369. Final segment, hour two. Hour three going to be off and running here momentarily. Maybe it hits you some animal Thunderdome news. We come back on the flip side. Get ready. This is Fox Sports Radio. Live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios. Great news. Quick way you could save money. Switch to Geico. Go to Geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. Can you imagine the outrage if at the bottom of an article about a women's sprinter, it said, oh, just FYI, this women's sprinter, like, for instance, somebody sent me this stat, and it's an amazing stat. Florence Griffith Joyner, I think, is still the fastest woman of all time. Am I correct in that? One of you guys can verify. She would have finished ninth in the California men's state championships this year. In other words, the fastest woman in the history of the world would have come in ninth in the boys' high school state championships in California this year. The fastest that a woman has ever run would have been the ninth fastest in one state's high school competition this year. So if you, at the end of that article, had included that, like, imagine the outrage. People would lose their minds if you wrote about the fastest woman in the world, and then at the end you were like, uh, while Flojo is actually fast for a woman, she would still only be the ninth fastest man in the, te- in the, in the California State Boys High School Championship. Like, people would demand that everybody be fired, there'd be a protest, would absolutely lose their minds, right? Is there any doubt at all about that? Yet at the bottom of this article, this is an amazing article, again, that I'm reading from, it says that Clint Dempsey and Landon Donovan would barely rank in the top 10 for women's most goals. David in Texas. What's up, David? Clay, I don't know what you're complaining about. This makes all the sense in the world. I mean, Layla Ali went 44-44 and has no losses, and Muhammad Ali had five losses. So, obviously, the best fighter in the family was Layla Ali. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. I mean, in terms of the overall impact societally, culturally, and everything else, Layla Ali dwarfs Muhammad Ali. This is the kind of stuff, by the way, thanks for the call. This is the kind of stuff, by the way, that just drives me insane. Like, I am an ultimate facts guy, right? I want actual facts to be at play. The clear suggestion based on that article that ESPN wrote is that 
the women's soccer team is by far better than the men's soccer team. Do you know that the U.S. women's soccer team just got beat by a 15-and-under boys team 5-2? to two? The U.S. women's soccer team, which are the best in the world, are not as good as 15-year-old boys. Basically, a really good team. It's not even a national team. It's 15-and-under boys in Dallas. You can put together a bunch of teams of freshmen in high school in soccer, and they can go dominate the best women in the world at soccer. 15-year-olds. And that's supposed to be in some way, like we're supposed to not give credit to Landon Donovan and Clint Dempsey for their records for that reason. It's totally ridiculous. Totally absurd. Got me all fired up here. One of my readers sent me this, and I was like, this cannot be real life. And it's just such an agenda-driven article that it was just fantastic. The minute that I saw that, I was like, my God, this can't be real life. But it's what ESPN does. Constantly trying to create stories where there's nothing. And if this happened on the flip, this is what's funny about this is this is the exact opposite of what everybody said when there was the ridiculousness that came out when John McEnroe was getting criticized, right? When John McEnroe was getting criticized for saying Serena Williams wouldn't be a 700th best male player. And by the way, I'm not sure she'd be the 4,000th best men's player. This at the bottom of the article, like this is a real article that somebody wrote. I want you to just listen to these final two paragraphs. A veteran U.S. international, Dempsey is no stranger to scoring big goals. He found the net against Egypt, Spain, and Brazil as the U.S. reached the 2009 FIFA Confederations Cup final. He also scored the tying goal against England in the Americans' 2010 World Cup opener and netted 30 seconds in against Ghana in the U.S. opener at the 2014 World Cup in Brazil. This is an entire article all about Clint Dempsey tying Landon Donovan. And in the final paragraph is this. This is on ESPN. Abby Wambach scored 184 goals in 255 games for the U.S. women's national team, the most by any player, man or woman, in FIFA history. Dempsey and Donovan would be tied for 10th on the U.S. women's national team all-time scoring list. That's the way the story ends. It's unbelievable to me. Around the horn, anybody, I mean, this is like, it's like if you were trying to satirize ESPN as like the farthest left organization you could possibly find. It's an article about Clint Dempsey tying Landon Donovan for the all-time record men's soccer goals. And the article concludes by saying that neither man would be in the top 10 in the U.S. women's all-time scoring list. I mean, all I ask for is like a little bit of even-handedness. If you put at the end of an article about a woman who had set an all-time record in, in track and field, if you put at the end of that article, oh, by the way, that woman would get dusted by every man who's ever competed at any kind of high level in a track and field event, women would be up in arms. Like, oh, this is so disrespectful. This is un- this is impermissible. This is not allowable. We got to fire somebody. And at the bottom of the article about Clint Dempsey try- tying Landon Donovan, they put in there the fact that they would be tied for 10th on the U.S. women's national team all-time scoring list. Those guys would have 1,000 goals if they played women's soccer. They would be unstoppable. 
what an idiotic position for MSESPN to take. Final hour of the show coming up next. I'm fired up on Fox Sports Radio. Welcome back. Hour three, Fox Sports Radio Studios brought to you by GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit GEICO.com for a free rate quote as well. Heat is the main cause of battery failure, so it's important to have a tough battery. Duralast batteries designed and tested to start in extreme temperatures up to 167 degrees. They're proven tough and sold only at AutoZone. Get in the zone, AutoZone. Much to discuss here on Monday. Jordan Spieth completes the third leg of his quest for the Grand Slam in golf. Now all that's left is the PGA. Also, unbelievable ball tap move, the Pearl Harbor of ball taps, if you happen to see that at the end of the big win. Game of Thrones, Euron Greyjoy makes a play. Uh, We've got Shark, the great white shark against Michael Phelps, an unbelievable disaster. We've got the U.S. men's soccer team advancing to play in the Gold Cup final. But it's important to know that Landon Donovan and Clint Dempsey would be tied for 10th most goals scored ever if they played women's soccer. That's from ESPN. Adrian Wojnarowski, whose name, Woj, I should just say, uh, is now reporting Derek Rose and the Cavs meeting today to discuss a deal. Of course, Kyrie Irving requested a trade. That is the other drama. Uh, let's go quickly around the horn here as that news is just broken about Derek Rose and the Cavs meeting today. I don't understand in any way remotely how Derek Rose makes sense for the Cavs if they already have Kyrie Irving and they already have LeBron James. They've already got two primary ball handlers. Highwood adding a third makes sense. Rose is not a good enough outside shooter, I don't believe, to make that much of a difference. Does that make any sense to anybody? Let's go around the horn. Jason Martin. Absolutely, off the bench. I mean, he's not going to be starting, but that way Kyrie can be spelled a little bit more. Quietly, Derrick Rose had 18 points per game last year, and he played in 64 of them. So it's not like he was out. He actually had a pretty good year, 18, and also had four and a half assists per game as well. So you talk about having Darren Williams last year coming off the bench for you. Now you have a Derrick Rose that might just want to join up with LeBron and Kyrie and Kevin Love and you know see what he can get done there. I don't think it's a bad deal at all, especially if it's as reported or as it's been talked about for the last week or so, a one-year deal. This is all about him coming off the bench. He's not going to be starting in this situation. Maybe every once in a while you could move Kyrie to the two, but Kyrie being such a good ball handler, I don't think you'd want to do that. But Rose coming off the bench, absolutely. I think it's, I think it's it makes, definitely something you should look at. It, it makes no difference in terms of their wins-loss. Like, all this stuff for me on the NBA is like rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. Everybody is going to get run by the Golden State Warriors. I just, I don't understand. I don't think it makes difference because Kyrie Irving is already complaining about not having the basketball enough, and now you bring in somebody else who's going to have the ball part of the game. By the way, want to bring in and thank, uh, welcome in our Tampa affiliate starting today, 1040 AM, the team, WHBO. That's Bruce Maduri. He's the general manager. We'll now be on there weekdays from 9 to noon. Uh, so welcome in Tampa. We keep adding up affiliates left and right. I appreciate all the work that our affiliate team is doing and also that you guys are doing, making sure uh, that everybody is coming and uh, continuing to sample Outkick the coverage. Which of these stories is the most interesting? Let's go around the horn to you guys. It's a, it's a Monday in July. I just, I'm just curious if you have to pick one. The Cavs ongoing drama. I am so bored of the Cavs' ongoing drama. I think that you guys out there listening are bored of the Cavs' ongoing drama because I don't think there's that many people who care about Kyrie Irving. 
And I think everybody's of the opinion that the Warriors are basically going to win the title. And I feel like people are tapped out on the NBA drama because they, there was a lot of off-season drama, and most of it didn't end up changing anything. You go look at the odds makers, and they say, oh, yeah, all these different guys changing teams, uh, whether, it was, uh, whether it was Gordon Hayward going to the Celtics, whether it was Chris Paul going to the Rockets, whether it was Paul George to the Oklahoma City Thunder, none of it changed really the odds. And the Warriors remain a prohibitive favorite. Is it Jordan Spieth? Is he intriguing enough to bring in the casual golf fan? Are there people out there who are like, you know what? I'll watch the PGA Championship. I'll watch that because I'm curious whether Jordan Spieth at the age of 24 is going to become the sixth golfer to have won every leg of the majors in golf. Are there people who are interested enough in Jordan Spieth that he brings in the casual fan? Is it the the absolute calamity, the disgrace that the great white shark versus Michael Phelps was? Or is it Game of Thrones? There are four options that I will give you right now. What do you think both yourself and and the audience as a whole are most interested in. And by the way, if you want to vote, maybe I need to put up a poll question on OutKick. Uh, You can find me at Clay Travis. Which of those four do you think the average listener for us is the most interested in? I think it's fair to say that those are the four biggest stories of the day, right? Which of those four do you think people would most like us to talk about? In addition, they probably answer is probably just Animal Thunderdome. But which of those four do you think people would most, most like us to talk about? I start with you, Jason Martin. Maybe the Cavs. I want to talk about speeds here in a second, but maybe the Cavs because I do think everything and anything, small or big, that happens to that particular franchise has the chance to affect the most recognizable name and face in American sports. The biggest star in sports is LeBron James. So the same way we talk about Kaepernick and all of these kinds of things driving numbers despite how boring they seem, because this could affect LeBron James's future, I think that that becomes paramount, and it does sort of move the needle a little bit. I don't think now, it moves the needle one bit. I don't think this so story about Kyrie about Irving. Well, because, it's first of all, it's July. So yeah, we were talking about in June and May and every. I mean, LeBron James. I'm saying, I mean, I what's moving the needle are, in July right now? I think people are like, I think people are bored of the LeBron James story. Like, I thought maybe maybe people will come in and be really interested on this, but people on Twitter don't seem to care. People on the callers don't seem to care. Like, I think people are tired of the LeBron James story, and I don't think the Kyrie Irving angle of oh, I want to demand a trade. Now, obviously, it happened on Friday. So I think people have also had like two days to discuss the Kyrie Irving thing. I don't think people care. What about L.A.? Do you think people care? Like of those four, which of those four do you think people care about the most? I think I, here, I'll tell you what I think. <laughs> I think Game of Thrones is by far like at water cooler talk, even among sports fans. I think Game of Thrones will be number one on this list. Like if I'm ranking these four for what I think what what you will talk about with your buddies at work today, I think Game of Thrones is number one on this list. I think the the Shark versus Michael Phelps is number two on this list. I think maybe LeBron, Kyrie's number three, and I think Jordan Spieth is number four. If I am ranking those stories as in, like, what's your average dude who's listening to us in all 50 states when they get into work, I think that Shark versus Michael Phelps in Game of Thrones is an unquestioned one and two. I think that there's zero doubt that the average guy is going to go in and be like, either talking about Game of Thrones or the Great White Shark against Michael Phelps. I think that those dunk on every other story i agree with you clay like you didn't let me quite finish i was saying for our audience but if you really look at it those are things that we don't talk about all that often that's that phelps thing 
became news because of how terrible it was. So for a day or two, yes, that is something people are going to want to talk about. Game of Thrones, we have seven weeks to do that, and then we move on for another year, and then we get six more, and then we're done. That is different than LeBron James. I'm talking about in terms of being the biggest story. For me, because you asked two different questions, our audience and me, what I'm most interested in is Jordan Spieth because I tweeted out yesterday after that's he number won. four on the list of me. I don't think I don't think people care about golf. Well, this is like me. I love it. I watched it. I watched the British Open. I went and golfed on uh, on Friday afternoon. Put up like 110. I, I love golf, but I think that Jordan Spieth does not move the needle, even when he's winning. Now, I will say the way that he won on Sunday. That 13th hole, even if you're not interested in golf, like that drama associated with the 13th hole was fantastic television. Him walking back among all the different uh, like training areas. Uh, he's standing in the middle of a bunch of semi-trucks like, uh, like trying to figure out where he's going to take a ball drop. The fact that he can't see anything. He was tied at the time with Matt Kuchar at minus eight. That 13th hole was about as entertaining as golf can get because you literally had no idea what was going to happen. Even well, if you're not a point. golfer, that was high theater. But that's, I don't think mine. Jordan Spieth moves the needle at all. Like, we'll look at those ratings, and a million people will have been watching the British Open compared to 25 million who watched the Game of Thrones. I mean, that I don't disagree with that. But the tweet I put out was, golf needs him to win three or five majors, maybe 10 of the next 16. And then people were like, oh, he's not Tiger. He's not bringing in a new audience. He's the best chance golf has. Look at the other guys that are out there. Day, Dustin, Rory. They're interesting. But they don't have what this guy has in terms of appeal. And one of the reasons why is what you just mentioned. He's erratic and extreme. He's either as good as we've ever seen or he's absolutely terrible. Remember back-to-back quads at Augusta, one that basically cost him a green jacket the year before. Like He has a putter that can get as clutch hot as Tiger Woods could, which was the key to what he did, being able to get up and down. But he's got this Phil Mickelson thing about him where what do you really care the most about when it comes to Phil? You care about him hitting it off a hospitality tent at Wingfoot and blowing the U.S. Open and finding a way to get out of the pine straw on 13 at Augusta. Like, that's kind of what Spieth has to me. Like, does that mean anything for the bottom line? I don't know. But if there is anybody that has a chance to move the needle right now in golf, it is Jordan Spieth. He's the only one where you have all these incredible highs and then you have the lows and then he has this deal where he's American and he's wired a little differently. You don't see a whole lot of nut taps right before you're signing your PGA scorecard. <laughs> that that was made awesome. him so that was really affable funny. and so likable and so just, oh, he's just like us. That's the kind of thing we would do, you know, coming off the 18th green to our boys. Like that kind of thing is, it's the burgeoning of somebody that might be able to move the needle. Can he move the needle right now? No, but I don't think golf has anybody that can move the needle because Tiger was such a force that we've never seen before. That's why. Like he's there's not ever been a Tiger Woods. I don't know that there ever will be, but Jordan Speece the best chance we got right now. Well, Tiger Woods, so much of what he did was he represented something different. And you could tell by just looking at him, right? I mean, that's a that's a big part of Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods brought in people to watch golf who've never played golf before. And if you remember back in the day when Tiger Woods was kind of at his apex, kind of really taking off. They overbuilt golf courses because of Tiger Woods, right? They were like, oh, we're going to have all these more people who are interested in playing golf now, and they built all these golf courses, and now a bunch of them have gone bankrupt because they're like, man, you know what? First of all, golf's a hard sport. 
So you, your average uh, weekend duffer who went out, they're like, man, I don't want to go play for four and a half or five hours, 18 holes, and then suck like that. I mean, golf takes a long time. I, if, I were, if I were designing golf to make it more palatable to modern society, I would make it like a standard round nine holes. Because you can play nine holes in like two and a half hours. You go to some of these comp, like some of these courses, if you're not a private club member, the awfulest thing about golf is how crowded some of these private courses, I mean, some of these public courses are that you get on. You can have like an 18-hole round that takes five hours. Like you can literally be out there waiting on every shot. It can take forever. It's miserable. And so if you play like two and a half hours, I think that's kind of an ideal length of time. Like an average movie, that's about as long as most people want to be able to be able to go out there and commit. But I do think that that is, uh, that those four, of those four, Let's bring in L.A. Of those four, what do you think our audience cares about the most? The four options that I've got out there. The Kyrie Irving trade, the drama of the Cavs, the Game of Thrones Season 7, Episode 2 that just aired last night, Michael Phelps versus the Great White, and Jordan Spieth winning the British Open. What do you think our crew cares about the most of those four stories? All right, so I just want to clarify. We were talking about our audience Yes. Okay, so I think Game of Thrones is by far and away number one. Yep. Then I think it's I, – I, I hate to say it, but – and it doesn't – it may not seem like it right now because it has been th- three days, but I think number two is, is still Kyrie and, and the NBA. Um, I mean, the, the, the Michael Phelps shark thing, I think it's interesting to say like, oh, yeah, that sucked. But I mean, I don't know that anybody even watched it. Oh, no. The the ratings on the Michael Phelps versus the shark are going to come in and you're going to be like, holy crap. Oh, especially like, people who have children. Oh, yeah. I watched it with my kids last night. I was like, I want to see. I mean, and they were all in on it, too. I mean, the, the, the pitch of it is golden, right? Like Michael Phelps is going to race a great white shark. That's a great pitch. Like that's television gold. Instead of actually letting Michael Phelps race a great white shark in some way, and I don't know how you would have set it up, but I don't know why they couldn't have done it, where they like create a, if they don't want to get, I think I'm correct that we've never had a great white shark in captivity. I don't think that we have ever managed to catch a great white shark and put him in captivity. That is, I don't think there's any aquarium anywhere in the world that has ever had a great white shark. They can't have, they don't live in captivity. All right. So I understand in theory, at least, oh, it might be too dangerous to be able to hold a great white shark in captivity. But they could have somehow designed a uh, a like cage, right? Caught a great white shark, had the great white shark on one side of the cage and then had Michael Phelps on the other and had them try to race head to head. Right. That to me makes perfect sense. They put that seal, that fake seal in the water and try to get the great white to race him to the end of the thing. And then they let the great white just go. And Michael Phelps is safe inside the still the cage apparatus. And we see who won. And you can see the the shark going head to head against the person. That's pretty cool. Instead, they had Michael Phelps racing against this CGI creation, which was just absolutely an awful decision. It was a disaster. I guess I'm just thinking among my my age group, you know, the the in you know, sports fans in their 20s. I guarantee you not a single one of my friends even knew that it was on on Sunday. You're totally wrong. You are you are a broken man to believe that that's the case. <laughs> no, no, guaranteed. Maybe maybe older 
you know, the older generation with kids, like like you know, like your generation, Clay. Maybe they were all into it. How but... old are you? I'm, <laughs> I'm 28. All right. So your generation, you're acting like I'm 64. <laughs> you're eight years younger. Well, but you're in a you're whole nother decade. place. You've got you know, you've got your family. You've got kids. It's like, I guarantee oh, you, know, you, know, you kids, you're to watch him race a shark. Like, oh, hold on. All right, 28 years old. All right, if you are 28 right now, I'm opening up phone lines 877 996 6369. Did you watch Michael Phelps race the great white shark last night? Open phone lines. I only want people who are 26 to 30 to call. Justin Cooper says, Nobody says, Nobody out there in that age group was watching. The Great White Shark against Michael Phelps. I think that there are millions of you who were watching, and we'll take your calls next on the flip side. Also, did you guys see this? Connor McGregor going at it with Draymond Green. Trash talk about Mayweather McGregor. We haven't even mentioned this yet. I do want to hit on that uh, next segment as well, but we're going to load up your phone lines. You can also vote on those four. I, I think, I, I'm kind of curious. I'm going to put up a poll question. You can go vote on it on OutKick. Which of these four was the most intriguing last night to you which story is the biggest Michael Phelps versus the great white shark is it Game of Thrones season two I mean season seven episode two everything that happened there is it Jordan Spieth winning the U.S. Open or is it the Kyrie demanding a trade story from the Cavs which of those stories do you consider to be the biggest which one do you care about the most I'm going to read your poll results next here on OutKick and we will also find out how many young men out there who Justin Cooper believes had absolutely zero interest in a shark racing a man. I think he's totally wrong. Am I right? Am I not? If you didn't watch, you can call as well. 877-996-6369. Your call's next here on Fox Sports Radio. Live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios, what does it mean when Geico says just 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance? It means you probably should have gone to geico.com 15 minutes ago. We got loaded lines. I'm nervous about what people are going to say, but Justin Cooper may win this argument. But we also, you did some research on the Great White being held in captivity. Oh, yes. I, I saw that just recently they had set a new record of five weeks. Bef- previously, before that, it was 16 days was the longest that they were able to keep a Great White shark alive in captivity. Was this the Monterey Bay Aqu- Aquarium? Uh, I am not sure. I, I got blown up by people saying the Monterey Bay Aquarium had a great white in captivity. So I don't know where exactly it was. Poll question, which is up. Uh, which of these stories are you most interested in? Michael Phelps versus the Grace, great white. It aired, it, aired, it aired last night on the Discovery's beginning of Shark Week. Game of Thrones new episode, Kyrie demands a trade or Spieth wins British Open. We're at 600 votes in the couple of minutes since this has been up. And we have a three-way tie. Game of Thrones, Kyrie, and Spieth all tied at 30%. Only 10% of you are most interested in Phelps versus the Great White. Really disappointed here. Really disappointed here because man versus human, I think, should have more appeal than it does. Man versus human? Man versus shark. Human versus shark. Whatever you want to say. You knew what I was trying to say. That's an example of a correction that is unnecessary. I don't think there's anybody out there who's like, oh, you know what that is? Clay Travis is talking about man versus shark, and he said man versus human. Let's go ahead and clean up his language there to make sure there wasn't any errors. That's why I'm here, Clay. 
Uh, all right, who should we go to first? Let's go to Kevin and Indy. Kevin in Indianapolis. What's up, Kevin? Hey, Clay, I am 28, and I have kids, and I had no idea that show was even on. Game of Thrones is the way to go. Calling it right now. Jamie kills Cersei. Jon Snow sits on the throne in the end of season eight. Write it down. Written, written it down. You had no idea. I see. I don't understand how you people had no idea that Michael Phelps was racing a great white shark. I mean, this thing has been advertised an insane amount. Now, I can understand you missing it just because you weren't necessarily plugged in. You're not on social media. But I don't understand how you didn't know. Adam in Birmingham. What's up, Adam? Hey, guys. I hope you all are having a good day. Look, 27 years old here. Uh, had no idea the shark thing was real. Thought it was a daggum hoax. I had... I mean, I, I, I had no idea that could even be possible. Would you have uh, watched if you had known about it? Well, Do you think uh, I knew I about know. it because I'm old? No, I don't know. See, I just don't think – like, I was too busy watching the Braves and, Braves and Cardinals play yesterday. Actually, I went back and watched it, severely disappointed it, glad I didn't watch it. Yeah, all right. So, But did, Justin Cooper's argument is that the reason I know about it is because I'm an old man. Like, do people believe that I know about it because I'm an old man? He's 28. He says I'm 38 and I'm an old man. Abby in Columbia. Abby, do you think that I knew about it because I'm an old man? No. I mean, I'm 28. My husband is 29, and I had one group text going about it. He had about two. All right, all right. So group text. So this is a lot of people your age, and you're all texting about the Michael Phelps versus the Great White. I don't see how you could have missed it. Like, it was all over Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. TV commercials were nonstop about it all week, so I don't see how you can miss it. So maybe if Justin Cooper was more active on young people's social media, such as Instagram, he would have been aware of this? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. So are you with me, though, that it was a real downer? Like, you wanted to she actually dropped. see him race the shark, right? Well, she's gone. But Abby there, Abby and her husband and all their friends, that should count for more than one person. No play. <laughs> no. Was that, that was Casey Smith as a ringer, call. huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we certainly know she'll never disagree with you. Matt in Iowa. Matt, what's up? Hey, what's going on, guys? Yeah. Uh, 30 years old, knew all about this. The only reason I didn't watch is because Michael Phelps is a D-bag. So that's, you just so if there had been another swimmer that you liked more, you would have watched him race a great white. That's an unexpected answer. Could Ryan I'm not going to watch it on a great white if Michael Phelps <laughs> I, I, is. Yeah, I would rather take Katie Lindecki than Phelps. Katie Lindecki. Uh, that's I don't a, know who Katie Lindecki is, but I don't know. Well, I mean, with the, the, based on ESPN, we should probably say, well, you know, Michael Phelps may be a good swimmer, but if he was a women's swimmer, he'd have less medals than Katie Ledecky. Um, let's go to, uh, let's see here. By the way, the update, Michael Phelps just getting dunked on. Game of Thrones, you were the most interested in. What I have found, it's interesting, is once it hits like 1,000 votes, typically the numbers don't change very much. So right now what we have is Game of Thrones is tied with Jordan Spieth as the story that you guys are most interested in. Let's go to Tyler in Cincinnati. What's up, Tyler? Watched it last night. Done with Discovery Channel. Biggest broad since Anaconda Man getting eaten <laughs> by the Anaconda. That was I talked about Anaconda Man earlier. You got cut off a little bit there at the start. You watched it last night? Yeah, I watched it. Me and my 25-year-old girlfriend. Oh, oh, how old are you? 28. So you and your 25-year-old girlfriend, you're just like, oh, I'm going to hang out and do the cool thing that 38-year-old Clay Travis is watching. I'm going to watch Michael Phelps race a great white. There you go. Yeah. Hell yeah, and then I text my friends about it. You know? And you were texting your buddies who were all roughly the same age as you. 
Exactly. I think what we're learning here is that Justin Cooper doesn't yeah. have friends. In your face, Cooper. No, he has friends, but he was busy on MySpace. <laughs> <laughs> He said I was too old. That was the reason why I knew about the race. Did you watch Danny G? You're I old. knew Did about it. it. I just didn't care. Um, no, I watched the Dodgers, and then I watched Game of Thrones. I, I watched the lowlights later of, of the race. Yeah. I mean, look, The supposed race. I thought, I thought there would be a lot. I'm going to be honest with you. We now have 1,300 people who voted in, and Phelps versus the Great White is just getting dunked on. So maybe I'm just totally wrong. Game of Thrones and Spieth are the things that you guys care about the most. Kyrie demands a trade is getting a higher percentage of interest than I thought it would. But Phelps versus Great White is just getting crushed. Let's find out what's trending here. We'll go to your calls on the flip side, 877-996-6369. I'm Clay Travis. You're listening to Outkick the Coverage. And I, along with all my friends in their 20s, was watching Michael Phelps race a Great White last night. Was it one of the top trending stories? It should be, but it might not be. Welcome back. Fox Sports Radio Studios brought to you by GEICO. It's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with GEICO. Go to GEICO.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. As well, if you're looking to sell your car, there's now a new, better way to do it with TrueCar. It's fast, it's easy, and it's the best way to price your car from the comfort of home. When you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out TrueCar.com slash trade today. And Jeff Schwartz weighing in. Between 8 and 9, my entire timeline was filled with people watching Phelps versus the Shark. It wasn't just us. Now, cutting against the argument there, Schwartz does have young kids. Maybe everybody with kids was watching. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's all of us. Jacob uh, in Indiana. Jacob, what's up? Yeah, how you doing, Clay? I'm excellent. Yeah, uh, I just want to weigh in on the Shark. I knew it was going on. I'm a 26-year-old guy. I uh, knew it was happening, but just really wasn't all that interested with Game of Thrones going on. Went and saw a movie instead also. What'd you go see? Uh, I went and saw Baby Driver with my wife. Yeah, all right. So Dunkirk, I went and saw Dunkirk, and I thought it was pretty good. Uh, really a phenomenal story. If you're a uh, if you're a history buff, Dunkirk was pretty phenomenal. John in uh, Memphis. John, what's up? Hey, Clay. Love the show. I uh, got two kids, 30 years old, couldn't care less about watching Michael Phelps. And here's the reason why. Like you said, the marketing was good. Had I known it was going to be like real side-by-side, then I'd have been all for it. Because, I mean, think about it. That would have been the best animal Thunderdome watch of all time with Phelps and the Shark. But we didn't get that. And that's what I felt like I was just cheated, was it was a lot like that anaconda that the guy was going to get eaten by. And I know, like, the guy's not going to die getting eaten by an anaconda, but if you're going to sell me on the guy's going to get eaten by an anaconda, he can't just tap out when he gets tired, right? Like, he was in a full body suit to get eaten by the anaconda. And then, also, I felt like it was the walk across the Niagara Falls as well as the Grand Canyon when there's a net beneath you. Like, if you paid me enough money, I, I, by the way, am terrified of heights. I don't know about you guys. Have you done those things where you walk out on – the clear, uh, like you can see through all the way down. They have them, I think, at the Grand yeah. Canyon now. They have it at like the top of the Sears Tower, or whatever it's called now. They have that in downtown Los Angeles right now. Where in L.A. do they have it? Uh, it's in one of the new high-rise buildings there. They have a slide, and you walk out, and you can. it's like that, the plexiglass. You can see beneath you. Yeah, so the first place I ever remember seeing that done, you guys are probably – Justin's not going to remember because this was like 20 years ago, and he's too old, uh, too young. He was like four then. He was making uh, Liar Liar. I got to tell you, it was on the uh, at the Ghost Bar at, at uh, the Palm. Remember in, in Vegas 
where they created, like, they had that little walkout area, and you could see all the way down. I'd never seen that before. And then they did it at the Grand Canyon. They do it at, like, every major tourist attraction now. And I was at the top of that building. I'd, I'd never done this before. I'd never walked out onto the glass. I was at the, and they have it now at the Eiffel Tower. I was just in Paris at the Eiffel Tower. I had never done it before I got to Chicago. And what's the, is it the Willis Tower? What's the tallest tower in Chicago called now? It used to be the Sears Tower, and then it got sold, and now it's called something else, and I don't know what it's called. But you can go all the way to the top. And I, I knew I was a little bit, like, not pro. I'm scared of heights. But I didn't realize how scared of heights I was. I couldn't walk out on the glass. I was ter- Even though I knew it's glass, I know it's not real, I know I'm not going to fall, just standing on that glass and being able to look down directly, I felt like I was going to pass out. And I felt the same way at the at the uh, at at the Eiffel Tower. Am I being a pussy willow about this? I just can't do it. I understand that some of you can just walk right out and you don't care and you know that there's like glass there and you're safe. I can't do it. I can't walk above the glass when you can see straight down to the bottom. Has anybody else had an issue with this? I've, I've never, had- never done it, but I would do it. Yeah, I would do it if I had the opportunity. I, I actually would like to do that slide in downtown L.A. if it didn't cost $45 or whatever ridiculous What does price the is. slide do? Like you go down a slide? There, I don't, there's, I don't... There's, a, there's a glass slide that goes out of the yeah. window of like the 75th floor oh. and slides oh, down I would, to I would, like I would, the I would, second like, floor. I would pass <laughs> out. That'd be great. I'm not going to lie. I would totally See. pass out. I don't think there's any way I could. I would have to be insanely drunk to do I, I mean, <laughs> Just thinking about it, and I don't know what percentage of people are like me, but just thinking about the idea of going on a slide and being like inside of a tube and then you go out and it, you feel like you're just going out 75 stories in the air. Like I, I, I mean, it, it literally makes me cringe to think about it. So I take it you would never go skydiving then? Yeah, oh, 0% chance I would ever <laughs> skydive. I would not even get on the plane at the idea that I might skydive. I, I Like the, I, the, 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 the idea that people get on airplanes and go into the air to jump out of airplanes is to me one of the most ludicrous things I've ever heard of. Like I understand if you're like a, 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 you know, a member of the, uh, the Army or something and you have to do it for a living. Okay, like you're training and that's what you do. The idea that for fun somebody would jump out of a plane is one of, is maybe the most absurd thing I've ever heard. Like I, I would there's a zero percent chance that I would do that. Oh, zero. it's it's an I would have adrenaline rush. The only way I'm not even sure I would do it for money. And I would do almost anything for money. I've I, I've said I would do like you've heard on this show. I've talked about all the ridiculous things I would do for money. Yeah, I'm sure it's an adrenaline rush. I would just I think I would just one I would just poop myself. I think the minute that I jumped out in the air. I would just defecate all over myself. Zero doubt. The feces just raining down all around me. Like, I would go right in my pants the minute that I jumped out. And two, like, just the very idea of it makes me really uncomfortable. And and, and I didn't realize how much I hated heights. Like, it's one thing when you're on, like, if you're high up and you're looking out through glass and you're standing on a normal, like, area. Like, I totally am fine with that. I can go to the observation deck at, say, the Empire State Building and not think twice about it. Wait, but wait. you put me on the glass where you're standing and you can see all the way down. I, I get nervous. You know those old pictures they have of like when they were building skyscrapers and there's like guys just like chilling yeah. on on like the T-beams, like the steel the high beams. Steel. I yeah. Like just looking at those pictures, it makes me sick to my stomach. So that's worse to you than 
being in a tight space like claustrophobia? I don't I've never really like I can't remember ever being in a really tight space. I don't really think I would like that either. <laughs> the only time I think about being in a tight space is and Jason Martin, you haven't had sex in six years, so you certainly never been in a tight, <laughs> tight space. You've never I, been in a tight space, is what you just said. Let's make sure we get that drop. Yeah. Uh, what I, what would <laughs> there's a couple of things I could say would be totally <laughs> like we'd probably lose our FCC license. Um, but inside of like an elevator, I will sometimes think this would be beyond hell if I got stuck in this elevator. But the only time I think it is when I'm in there with my kids and I'm just like, oh, my God, just please let this. And I've, I've been like we were in a tiny elevator in London and I was with all three boys at one point. And I was like, what would I do if this elevator stopped? I'm like, I think I would just knock myself out. Like was if you told me the that I was stuck in an elevator with my three boys and we couldn't get out, I think I almost just think I would ram my head into the wall until I passed out. <laughs> I don't like that is the, the the smallest venue that I've thought of, like what would be awful if I was stuck in here. But I'm I'm like you put me on anything where I can see all the way to the bottom. And that this is now a big trend. I didn't know about the slide. That makes me even sicker to my stomach. I would not there's no way I would do that. And and it's funny, like one of my kids is like it. He lost his mind. The others are perfectly fine. Like when we were at the uh, at the uh, Eiffel Tower, my two year old has got his toy cars and he's just rolling around on the you know the glass surface, like you can see all the way to the bottom, just playing with his toy cars. Zero issue. Eight seven seven nine nine six six three six nine. I'm Clay Travis. Final segment of the show coming up next. Think we've definitely done a Marconi winning uh, worthy winning show today. We'll see if we can finish it off strong next on Fox Sports Radio. Live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio Studios, Notorious B.I.G., bringing us back on a Monday. What does it mean when Geico says just 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance? It means you probably should have gone to Geico.com 15 minutes ago. Let's go to Dan in Rochester. He says I'm a pussy willow. Dan, what's up? Clay, I think you're kind wimp when you come to the whole height thing. You know, it, uh, you got to set an example for your kids. Uh I do Why do I need to set an example for my kids about the height? Like, my example for kids would be don't walk over dangerous substances. Like, that seems like a good example to set. Yeah, but the, the more you expose your kids to the, you know, the better they can do in their later lives. So the less you expose them to them, the more afraid they're going to be with things later on. That's why we watched uh, the Shark versus Michael Phelps last night, trying to be a better dad. Yeah, I didn't watch that. Uh, but I... Uh, just give you a story. My my, I understand about the whole claustrophobic thing. Uh, I was buried alive in a trench twenty years ago. Whoa! And uh, how do you I not lead with you were buried alive? You made fun of me for being a pussy. How did you get buried alive? I was in the bottom of the trench on my hands and knees, putting some pipes together, and the bank came in sideways and covered me. Uh, and my sixteen-year-old son was the only one on the job with me, and he had the. Uh, wherewithal to stay keep his mind together and knew about how far down I was and he was able to dig down and find me how far so, down otherwise uh, I had about two feet of dirt on top of me and so I you could couldn't hear move him. at all I couldn't no no and every time I would breathe you know the the weight of the dirt was collapsing my lungs so within about maybe 30 40 seconds I was unconscious so he so. found you unconscious buried alive he found me. Uh, I mean, he was handing me things, and so he would dig down. He'd jump out of the machine. He knew about how far down he was. He would dig with his hands, and then he would dig down and, 
you know, and then jump out and dig with his hands and and found the back of my head and pulled my head back. And the doctor said if he hadn't gotten the weight off my, my back, my lungs would have collapsed and it wouldn't have done much good. So how long did it take him to get you, uh, like you were passed out at the time that he got to you? I w- oh, yeah, I was passed out. And even when I, he said when he pulled my head out of the dirt and my, my whole body just gasped, which, you know, again, allowed my lungs to fill up. Uh, but uh, I was still unconscious after that for a while. So, like, I don't remember that moment. I, I kind of sort of do, but I don't. Uh, and then when I kind of came to, there was, like, people everywhere, fire department, just everybody everywhere. So do you remember having a conscious decision of, like, I'm dying? Like, when you were yeah, underneath yeah. it, like, you thought, I'm dying, and then everything just went black? Yeah. Wow. How long ago was that? Uh, that was 20 years ago. Wow. And, you know, so, you know, he had quit school against my wishes, and, you know, I I had quit school, and I, I have a business, and he since went back to school, graduated, uh, has an associate's degree, and now he owns the business. So it's, that's an uh, incredible story. You know, yeah. Now he's got a couple of them. Uh, he saved another one of our, our guys' lives uh, with a cutoff saw. Uh, cutoff saw kind of went crazy and uh, went horizontal uh, across one of my guys' chest and then turned vertical. That is, that's an unbelievable story. Thank you for the call. You're welcome. Never expected a guy to call in and say he got buried alive. That's Remember, we talked about this before. That's where the term, the great television show, Saved by the Bell, that's where it comes from because people used to get buried alive all the time back in the olden days, and they would literally have a string attached to a dead person's hand or finger, and the grave, like the graveyard shift was you walked through the graveyard to see whether or not somebody, the bell was ringing. And if you heard a bell ringing and you went over there and somebody was clearly pulling it, then you would dig them up because they had woken up alive inside of their grave. How amazing is that? That that was such a common occurrence that we had the graveyard shift existed and also that we had bells that we were attaching to people when we buried them. The way that they used to determine whether or not people were dead was like they would hold a mirror up to their mouth to see whether there was any air escaping at all, to see whether the mirror fogged. I don't know what they did before they had mirrors. A lot of not dead people getting buried. Man, thought you had a rough day. I imagine claustrophobia is pretty bad too. I think I'm claustrophobic and heightphobic. I think I got all the phobias. Tomorrow, we will break down the start of NFL training camps as they get closer and closer. I'm also about to, as soon as I finish this show, going to go write my Game of Thrones story. If you're a Game of Thrones obsessive like me, go read it at outkick.com while you're pretending to work. You can read all about Game of Thrones. Thanks for all the calls. Thanks for the participation. Especially love all the old people out there who watch Michael Phelps race a shark with me. I'm Clay Travis. This has been Fox Sports Radio. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. 
Hey, it's Jonas Knox. The best athletes don't just play the game, they change it. When it comes to investing, GameBridge is doing the same. Their online platform does things differently because it's designed to put you in charge of growing your own savings. It's intuitive, it's easy, and best of all, it's on your terms. No wonder GameBridge has earned the trust of 40% repeat customers. It's a better way to invest because it's investing your way. Get started today with as little as $1,000 at GameBridge.io. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. 